Welcome to Saturday Morning Rewind, a show dedicated to the love of animation and feeling like a kid again. So let's go back in time to when cats defended Third Earth. Sword of Omens, give me sight beyond sight. A masked duck protected the streets of St. Canard. I am the terror that flaps in the night. And knowing was half the battle. Yo, Joe! Let's go back with Saturday Morning Rewind and your host, Tim Nidell. Welcome to a very exciting month here at Saturday Morning Rewind. Since the beginning of the show, I've been talking about how I have two favorite cartoons of all time. And it's, it's going to be a tie between Thundercats and DuckTales. Two shows that are so amazing and yet so different from each other. And with the brand new DuckTales show airing on Disney XD later this summer, I feel like I should do like a tribute month to one of my favorite cartoons of all time, which is, of course, DuckTales. So for the month of February of this year, I have multiple interviews I'll be playing. Right now I have three. I might get four, but right now I have three that I'll be playing throughout the month. And we'll be closing out this month with Video Game Rewind, in which we'll be talking about DuckTales, the video games, the ones for the NES, the Game Boy, and even the newly released one, the remastered version, which is amazing. So for this episode you're about to listen to, I reached out to the insanely talented Brian Cummings, I say insanely because he is super, super talented behind the mic, but he also might be just a little bit insane. Um, Brian was amazing. I love this interview. Of course, he was a voice of Doofus on the show DuckTales. I may not be very good at hiking and marching and setting up tents, but I sure know how to gather firewood. He also did Bugle Beagle on DuckTales. And go check out his resume. It's so impressive. He was on Wuzzles. He was on Gummy Bears, Rugrats, Batman Animated Series, The Berenstain Bears, Snorks, and one of my favorites, he was Dr. Mindbender on the original G.I. Joe's cartoon. So he's got so many amazing characters on his resume. Go check him out. And check out his website. It's at thebriancummings.com. And of course, while you're on your computer, check out our website, SaturdayMorningRewind.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter from the website. And also make sure to check out our brand new YouTube show. It just started. We need new watchers, new subscribers, and share it like crazy because we need those numbers to go up. And if you're a fan of the podcast and you love 80s and 90s stuff, then you're really going to love the YouTube show. I guarantee it. It's just pure 80s and 90s nostalgia everywhere. It's mainly my buddy and I, Christian, opening up toys that were released in the 80s and 90s you know brand new sealed steel in the package a lot of them and a lot of rare toys actually which i'm going to feel really upset over devaluing the the toys but hey it's for the entertainment purpose and it's, it's a lot of fun honestly so go check out those youtube videos they're amazing our first one that we just released is all about the muppet babies happy meal toys that were released in the early 1980s and it's a great episode so like I said, all those links are on our website, SaturdayMorningRewind.com. Also, check out our Patreon campaign if you want to help us out financially. If you don't want to do a monthly donation, check out our donation tab on the website if you just want to give one lump donation. That would be amazing. It would really help out. But anyways, here is the start of our DuckTales month with Brian Cummings. So we're going to talk about weird stuff in cartoon and animation things, I suppose, right? Yeah, man. But first, okay. since the show is about 
reliving childhoods, you know, can we start off by talking about yours a little bit? What was your childhood like? Uh, so can, excuse me, because I'm raising I'm raising two fingers because I got to go down the hall. No, okay, that's that's going too retro. Uh, no, I uh, I grew up in uh, in a state that's very tiny uh, in population. I grew up in South Dakota, uh, where there wasn't a lot to do, you know, except live in your own little fantasy world or mm-hmm. watch the corn grow. One of the two things. So I was uh, I was fascinated with cartoons from the time I was a tiny kid and and uh, and uh, would would do voices for my next door neighbor lady and do my Elvis impression, which was really bad. But I just kind of lived in that fantasy world. My family said, you'll never amount to anything. You're just a hopeless dreamer. So there you go. What were some of your favorite uh, cartoons or, or animated features as a kid? Well, then that, that gives away my age. So I, <laughs> I first liked uh, Betty Boop. No, that's too early. Uh, I, I really grew up on the on the Hanna Barbera period in, in cartoons, which would yeah. be the Huckleberry Hound, Yogi Bear, and, and that was actually cool to me because when I moved to Los Angeles, who would I meet by total accident but Dawes Butler, who was Huckleberry Hound and Yogi Bear, and he became uh, my my mentor and vocal coach. So it was really kind of a really interesting thing to have that all kind of come full circle the other part of of what i did in my life as a little kid being being in that part of the world where, again where a lot of stuff came to us later than other people i was also fascinated a lot with pop music radio and so when i was in high school i was fortunate to get into radio and i, I think sometimes the stuff that happens in your life that you don't expect to have happen that you know just kind of comes out of nowhere is the stuff that later on turns out to give you the tools and things that you need to really go places that you would like to go later. Exactly. So that was kind of a, a, a cool thing. So I was fascinated with Top 40, but there was none in my state. So I would listen uh, late at night to, to stations out of Chicago. There was a rock and roll station. It was kind of cool out of Oklahoma City. It was called KOMA. And uh, it was interesting because later I worked a lot with Chuck Riley, who's not with us anymore, but was one of the great voices uh, one of the great deep voices, but also did great character voices, although he didn't get to do it very often. And uh, Chuck Riley was one of the jocks I listened to when I was in high school in Oklahoma City and then later worked with when I came to Los Angeles. That's a big guy. What were some of your, your uh, musical acts back then? Uh, wow, some... so, okay, I've, I actually, again, this tells how old I am. I was actually watching TV in my grandpa's house, and they, they went to a nightclub. Was it the, the Rats? No, no, that was in Germany. I went to a nightclub in, in England and first showed this band called the Rolling Stones. Oh, my goodness. Keith Richards. Uh, and people looked at them and said, those guys are really unkept and wild and crazy guys. There's no future <laughs> for those guys. And, and then so shortly after that, I was like swept away in the British invasion. And again, in high school, the local radio station advertised for a kid to work part time. And I think because I was still in high school, somebody thought he's not very good, but he's, if he goes to college here, we don't have to hire a part-time kid for six years instead of every four. So I, I got the gig, but the station was such a small market station. Like we would play string music in the morning and MOR music at night. And they thought pop music was like getting instrumental versions of the songs that people listen to. So it was not mm-hmm. really rewarding as far as what we played, but it was rewarding in that I learned skills. In small markets, you have to write every – if you do commercials, you have to write the commercials. You have to produce the commercials. You have to voice the commercials. And lo and behold, you learn how to do all those things, which is a, a really cool thing to take with you then later. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to Dawes Butler for a quick second what? here. Yeah. You were, his, yeah. were, you, you were her, his very first student. Is that right? Yeah, I wasn't supposed to be, actually. Uh, there was a, a production guy uh, in Los Angeles who was a very well-known producer whose girlfriend wanted to study, and Dawes had been very good friends with the two little old ladies that played the women who, who on, on the old uh, – what was it? On the old Walton's show, okay. the two women who produced their own booths and kind of bootlegged it to everybody else. Uh-huh. One of those – 
ladies was a fabulously finely trained classical actress and she taught people and i worked at a radio syndication place it was the only job i could get through somebody i met from uh, from nashville which was the place i'd worked before i'd moved to los angeles and i uh, so uh, Dawes had been thinking of teaching, and he came in to do a show that my syndication company produced. And uh, while he was there, we did some interviews with him and did some things that I later produced uh, for breaks and for Christmas specials and stuff on the air. And after we were, were uh, done with uh, the situation, I went up to Dawes Butler and, and uh, swallowed my fears and said, but you never teach him like what I'd love to talk. And he kind of like understood something through the mumbles. And so he said, well, send me a tape. And I sent him a, a tape that was very long and probably mediocre, but he took me on and he was, and I was broke. I was new in town. So he was supposed to um, basically teach Alan Barsman's uh, lady friend at the time. This is 80 million years ago. I think there were uh, like, there were still animals that were getting feet as they crawled out of the water. But uh, <laughs> uh, so, so uh, uh, I showed up and she never did. Huh. And, and, and basically, Doss said, we'll uh, charge you, we'll split the fee, and you can pay half, and she'll pay half. And since she, she never showed up, I just paid half. And there was even a period when I was first married and was even more broke that I was like on uh, uh, on scholarship for about a year. And then gradually, uh, Dawes had other people kind of join us, and we, we grow from, from just being a couple people to about 10 people. And most of those people uh, have worked much or are still working. People like Neil Ross, who was uh, we, I worked together on GI Joe uh, with, and who I've worked on projects with over the years, and actually even came to one of my workshops, so he was overqualified. But yeah. but it's, it kind of began a dynasty. Corey Burton was in that class, who's a legend and an, an amazing voice guy. Yes, so it was, it, was a, it was a lovely experience all the way around. So, when was the last time you saw Dawes before he passed away? Oh dear, <clears throat> I'm trying to. We did a surprise party for Dawes. Uh, it was actually kind of really cool. It was when Stan Freeberg was still alive. We did a surprise oh, party for Dawes. Uh, we invited Stan Freeberg because in, in Los Angeles history, Dawes and Stan had done uh, a number of comedy projects together and were kind of locally famous. The animated version, they cast other people, but the original Beanie and Cecil television show, which most people won't remember, was, was Dawes <laughs> Butler and Stan Freeberg. And Dawes was this little dude, so his wife made some great big huge like platform shoes, the first ones as far as we know, that Dawes would walk around backstage, and they did this on live television. And he would he would uh, he would play the the uh, uh, play uh, Beanie and Cecil the Sea Six Sea Serpent was played by Stan Freeberg, and they were together. So we had this party, this big surprise party for Dawes. It was the last time I was at Dawes' place, and uh, they they said Stan was the kind of creative, uh, you know, geniusy, wacky kind of guy that they said Stan might be there a week early or two weeks late. You never know because <laughs> Stan is kind of unpredictable. But well, and Stan showed up. And they spent like two hours, like reminiscing. It, it was almost as though they both both left the studio the day before, and they were just talking about their week. It was fabulous, wow. and they were both amazing, and and their ad libs were phenomenal. It was a marvelous evening. Then we also called uh, Paul Freeze, who's gone now as well, oh, who's a great no. voiceover actor, and who had worked with them on the uh, on the Rocky and Bullwinkle uh -huh. projects, and and and. Uh, so Paul got on the phone. So we had all sorts of crazy fun times. It was an awesome experience. Wow. I mean, I'm getting goosebumps right now. To be a fly on the wall in that room right then would have been amazing. Yeah. Well, and again, Dawes was not not just a brilliant guy. I'll tell you, the first thing that Dawes ever did for me, Dawes was probably 60 when I first went to study with him. And to give it me an idea of the levels of a character, I still use it in classes. And so I'll be glad to share it. He did for me the voice of a southern boy. Southern uh, being because his family background was in, in the in the Carolinas. His wife, I think his wife was from the Carolinas, but I know Dawes all. I know maybe Dawes was from Chicago. I, for, I get all mixed up. I'm I'm getting old and forgetful. <laughs> Dawes uh, really had a love of where 
where Murtis came from. And anyway, uh, this Southern retarded boy, and he's ad-libbing this now at the top of his head. Southern retarded boy uh, comes into his sister, and and be, so he's got this thick accent, and he has some trouble getting clar- clarity of thoughts, and he, so he's got the kind of a mind of a much younger kid than he is. And the first thing he does is he tells his sister about how they were at a dance the night before. They'd gone to town. They live on a farm, and and that her boyfriend had let him play the drums at the dance because their boyfriend was really kind to it to him. And what he's what he's really trying to do is to tell his sister that her boyfriend came to uh, out to visit them, and the farm took a shortcut through the pasture and has been gored by the bull in the pasture and is lying there bleeding in the pasture so this kid is like trying to tell his sister to help the guy but he he can't get the idea out with clarity and so the next thing he did the great lesson that Dawes taught me is so I've I've got the 60 year old man playing the youth playing the the childishness playing the retardation Mm -hmm. and the accent so he's got we've got those four levels now he tries to tell his sister to save her boyfriend so the deal is that Dawes character wants to cry but if he cries then he can't get out what he needs to tell her. So what he taught me is that it's all those levels are really good. But also what he taught me was that it's much more powerful to want to cry and not be able to cry than it is to just bawl your eyes out. There's much more power in those conflicting emotions when they fight each other. It was eerie. And that when you talked about chills, that still to this day gives me chills when I saw this man create this in front of my eyes. The whole scenario script from beginning to end. It was phenomenal. It was a great moment. That's insane. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah pretty cool and and again all those people who have studied with Dawes everybody brought great acting jobs but I think we all learn and also Dawes even when he was older after he'd he'd uh, he'd had a stroke and he wasn't sometimes he would miss a word he was still as sharp as attack but he'd sometimes stumble and they'd tell him to repronounce the word and he would just go back and do it mm-hmm. but there would be times when when someone would write something as this project you know Hanna-Barbera went on for a good long time they were the the number one guys they were like the, maybe the marvel of their period in cartoons and they uh um, they would have new young writers come in and they do like wacky races or things based on old shows. And Dawes would tell the writers, he would say, Yogi wouldn't say that. Hmm. Quick draw wouldn't do that. And they were cool enough. I got, I got to give Hannah Barbera credit to know that Dawes knew the character better than the writers knew the character. Yeah. And they changed the line and evolved the script so that it was more true to the characters. Dawes was, was I, I can tell you Dawes stories. We could spend three hours just on Dawes stories. You know, well, maybe I, I'll have to get back on sometime just to have a sure. Dawes episode. A Dawes Day. It would be awesome. <laughs> and we, maybe we could see if we could find Corey and uh, and get him to, to come out and talk about it too. Because yes. those of us who learned from Dawes, we, we and his his spirit was also he loved people who did the work. He loved the characters; they were real to him. Nicest thing that I've ever done, uh, and I've done some. I've had some really great people give me opportunities. The nicest thing I've ever done is probably probably the most obscure thing. I think it's on iTunes, and I had hoped to give it to somebody where if people would buy the track that we just give the money to some charity. Mm-hmm. Somebody would just take the money. Money. And and the ninety nine cents at a time, but I, I was I used to always give my clients Christmas CDs that would be sometimes a little bit funny, maybe a little poignant. I just try to make them interesting, radio background use. So you don't try to do one note; you try to do a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. And there was this I was trying to to create a character and started out trying to be a humorous character. I call him the trash picker. He is actually a little bit slightly. The idea was based on an Ogmandino book, who's a great writer if you've never read him. But in, in, in any event, this character is this, this guy who's going through the bins on the street. He's a very street, street kind of character. So he's got <coughs> that a very kind of a street, not an overly educated man, but a really neat guy. And so basically I did this trash picker digging through the trash where he takes toys out and fixes the toys up and gives them to kids. 
because uh, he doesn't have any money. So that's his his offering to other people. But then in his in his dialogue, he talks about people who are like that, who've been kind of thrown away by the world that people don't see any use for them. And he's talking about the Christmas spirit, about during the holidays, we need to find those people that, that seem, seem like they've been thrown away and let people know that they have worth. And it was a really just this cool thing came out as kind of like my Dawes moment, because I'm certainly no much lesser than the man that taught me, but it came out in one take. Uh, I did one pickup, and which is basically to close it, which is just to say Merry Christmas. But I kept on one take. I tightened it up with one thing, and I stuck Silent Night behind it and released it. As, as And we also did a YouTube video of the thing. And it, so people first listen to it, and for about the first 10 seconds, they think it's going to be funny because mm-hmm. the guy's voice sounds a little bit funny. But it's kind of like my feeling about what Dawes did with that little kid is it was so good for him that he almost became the kid. He channeled the kid more than he actually performed it. The, the character kind of – even with his with his skills of how he had timing and other things, the character became so important that it overlaid much more importance than the skill and the craft, which he also added. But those things were extraneous. And I, to me, that closest thing I come to does was that trash picker that he existed <laughs> so real to me that he just kind of formed himself and it came out right the first time. Yeah, you know? nice. <clears throat> so yeah. the main reason why I wanted to have you on, on the show was to talk about one of my favorite cartoons of all time, which is DuckTales. And you were the voice of Doofus. Doofus? Yeah, I know, I know. It is all another one of the ironies of this business. It's like the Stone song. You, you, you can't always get what you want, but you get what you need. And, and DuckTales was a delightful show. Everybody on the show was, was delightful. It was really kind of a neat thing. Uh, I, I loved working with, uh, again, a, a guy whose name, I don't know if people uh, mention a lot, but Alan Oppenheimer was a oh, killer, yes. amazing guy as the villain. And I played his, his henchman <coughs> uh, on um, – uh, I'm not getting my shows confused. That was Wuzzles. Uh, let me go back to DuckTales. Uh, but, but okay. Uh, sorry about it. DuckTales was, was interesting in that it was uh, kind of a, a long syndicated show. They did a lot of episodes and stuff. So it was nice that when you get a good ensemble cast, I could play space monsters and, and other kind of incidental characters. But Doofus was really neat because he was a little kid. And, and so it was kind of my Elroy Jetson. Again, going back to Dawes, it was an opportunity to play this very wide-eyed guy who uh, who idolized Launchpad, Terry McGovern, a marvelous actor yeah. from San Francisco, and and uh, so uh, because because I idolized Launchpad and he was my hero. Sorry, I have a cold and I've also got an impacted tooth and I cough. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, doctor. Is that your glove? Never mind. Okay. So uh, in any event, um, this little duck was really cool because he was the wide-eyed innocent and everything. And uh, and they, you could use him for a lot of different things. And that was kind of, kind of a cool thing. The cast was legendary. And uh, I think the only time I can ever imagine that Disney missed an opportunity to merchandise something based on a show and it maybe had something to – I always thought that they, somebody should have gotten a hold of some fruit juice company to manufacture and sell gummy berry juice because that's where the, the gummy bears bounced around and stuff. I'm, I'm going to the gummy bears. All right. Back. <laughs> DuckTales. Uh, uh, the other thing about DuckTales was I got to be one of the Beagle Boys. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Beagle. Creepy guys. That was pretty cool. On one show, we were pirates. And and probably at the time I didn't get it. I thought Disney's always so professional about everything. So they had it was a, they were going to do the Beagle Boys as kind of a barbershop trio since there was only three of them that they featured. And they came in with lyrics for a song, but no music. And I thought, why did somebody forget to write the music? Obviously, if I go back and can find the episode, which I haven't yet been able to do in any of the packages, they probably brought in then some really really seriously good singers. Although I really love to do character singing. Um, but to do it, but I thought we, cause we sang the song, we actually, you know, 
kind of mocked it up and, and tried to come up with, with harmonies that were not necessarily natural to any of us, but we did that, and it was a good time. A lot of good moments on on that show as well, and of course because it was a large cast and went on for a long time, they they uh, there was a period where then they'd had about a, as many shows as they needed with mm-hmm. with uh, with Super Do or Doofus, and then so then they filled within sort of featured other members of the cast. But that's also great when you have an ensemble cast. That's really nice to let different people in the cast shine. So yeah, well well done. Everybody with that was terrific. The studio we, uh, that we were in was remarkable, and the the cast there, the staff there was really cool. The whole thing was uh, was really like I, I guess I used to do shtick and tell people the hardest part about my job is that I is the acting. Every night I have to go home and act to my family that I'm really working for a living because <laughs> because uh, it was so much fun and 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 even even the shows that were harder. GI Joe was harder because it was such a huge cast and it had to be choreographed in such a way that the way they wanted to produce the show took a long time to do it. But now in retrospect, what happened is it took a long time to do the show and you might have been impatient about going places, but I hung out on the couch and hung out with the cast members and everybody was awesome. So now some of my favorite memories are the times that I had between doing the show, just hanging out with all the people on the show. It was phenomenal. Yeah, I'm just just in awe with your talent because – on G.I. Joe, you played Dr. Mindbitter. Totally, totally different voice from Doofus. And then here you go. You can be a, a kid one second and, you know, an evil mastermind another second. And both so different voices. You have such a great range. Well, that's well, thank you. Thank you. I, and, I, and I actually, when I try to teach people techniques how to do this, sometimes it's funny that life teaches you things in ways you don't know. Uh, there, there was a guy, there was a blues guitar player from Canada who was blind. And he was an amazing guitar player. He's now passed away. Um, only recently, he passed away young, so I don't, I'm not sure what happened. But he, uh, he, because he was blind, he laid his guitar, uh, regular guitar, on his lap and played it almost like a steel guitar. But he was really still phenomenal in playing. And I, I always find that I also, when I was in high school, there was a drummer who was a jazz drummer named Joe Morello, who was the first guy to do uh, a one-handed press roll. With a, a musician can say that's hard to do and do well. <laughs> he was also, uh, and he looked like a, like looked like a middle-aged. Uh, insurance salesman he had his glasses were really really thick about as thick as the uh, bl- glass blocks on my studio wall but he he did something for us when he ca- came to my high school and we did a drum clinic and what was amazing is he could do a drum solo and he divide his body in half and do time signatures that didn't work together like four four time on one side and six eights time on the other side both at the same time and he could go in and out and say okay i'm over here one two three four five six now it's one two three four one two three wow. four five five six and he could go back and forth as he was doing the solo and it was phenomenal I, I like people who do things like that because they they don't necessarily always reinvent what they do but they change what we do <clears throat> so mm. uh, another guy that's really great who i'm in awe of you're saying those nice things about me is, is pat fraley who's yeah. very good at, at having a, a number of not just different timbers in his voice but his knowledge of how to do different placements of where he places the breathing and where he he places what his instrument does because let's face I, I do i do a thing i'll do it with you now okay i'm going to teach you to do a character voice okay i'm going to hear without looking at you and you looking at me i'm going to do it in 30 seconds okay? okay so all you have to do is take your hand and you're, and you're going to take the side of your mouth, fold it off to the side a little bit. And on that same side, don't do this uh, too extremely or you'll bite yourself badly and then I'll be in trouble. Uh, <laughs> stick your tongue between your teeth on the far side of your mouth where you're holding your cheek. And then try to talk. If you want to put a little New York accent, you can. But otherwise, it still sounds really stupid. It's a character voice. 
Okay. There was a, there was a famous comedian named uh, named uh, Dayton Allen, and his whole running gag was he'd look at the camera and, and do that, stick his, his tongue in and go, why not? <laughs> and it was his whole career. If you can talk with your tongue between your teeth, you got the character. So it, it's, so some of it's physical engineering, and then some. The other part is like you know trying to relate to and feel like the character. But you can start with some. One of those things that's neat is you can take something that's a physical affectation, and it'll kind of make you feel like the character that you're trying to be. So the the start of your character is you've got two elements of the character just by doing something physically that you can kind of get into and start to feel, and that kind of then drives part of the character. So there are easy ways and hard ways to do the thing. Hardest thing is to try to mimic somebody because you you know. Even been doing this for many many years there are days when because of those eustachian tubes it sounds different inside my head than it sounds outside my head and when i listen but the other part of it is is it's like the old uh, uh what's the old uh, poem there the uh, is it rudyard kipling that did the blind men and the elephant who described different parts of the element elephant they decided what it looks like and one says oh it's i think it's much like a snake and the other oh no it's much like a tree because one's grabbing its leg and the other one grabs the trunk <laughs> So I, and it's the same thing. People look at your kid and say, looks just like her dad. Yeah. No, it's just like her mom. It's because one person notices different features mm -hmm. over the other. And same thing with voices. You can do something that you think is spot on and somebody else might hear a different element of that voice. Um, and, and so they, they, I've done voices that I think are kind of mediocre that when they want an exact match, it don't sound to me like the original guy, but they loved again, be it based upon what they wanted to hear, what they wanted to see. So, and there are times I walk out going, I nailed that. And then people go, nah. <laughs> so it's a very subjective thing. And I think that's what makes it exciting. It make, makes it more interesting. If, if you got everything and you could do everything perfectly, if you really were Dawes Butler, and I'm sure even Dawes had things that he would say were his shortcomings that people let him do that he didn't feel good about because i think that's the nature of a performer it's, it's, you're, it's never you're never good enough for yourself and that's kind of what makes you good is you keep trying you know what i still do what about the voice of doofus what did you use what inspirations did you use to create that voice okay so the first thing i did is, is do i i wanted to get a little bit breathiness because he was always wide-eyed he was a little chubby and wide-eyed so the first thing i did is i pushed myself into that breathy like wow attitude about just about everything okay then the other thing i did is i got this kind of like lispy dentalization that sometimes little kids have because they're like their diction is not really like you know like uh, like precise because they're little kids and another thing that kids do is the way they think though they write the write the lyrics for you this is one of the things Dawes taught me when I first wonder is if you're talking like a little kid, you're talking like a kid. You know, my uncle plays baseball. Have you ever gone bowling? I like flowers. Sometimes it's really dark. I get scared of the dark. Hey, water's on the back of my leg. <laughs> you know, kids are like, they're all over the place. Uh -huh. They don't have any organization. And then, but you get to an old person, and it's, I, well, uh, Dawes uh, 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 Butler was, uh, he, oh, he was. So good. I, I so it's different thought processes also drive where you go. So I just kind of, and then I kind of bring my voice into the front of my mouth so I could have that little kid kind of enthusiastic thing and wide eye thing, and then I could say, Launchpad is my hero because he's such a, a cool pilot. Whoa! And there you are. You know. Wow. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's and that's kind of again you part of the other deal is is that it, it, you you play around with stuff I, I, when i teach people this stuff if think about it you give a kid a video game or you give a kid a guitar and chances are and i actually even have a story for that you give a kid those things and he's he gets good at it not because he works really hard at it but because he likes it so much he's having so much fun he doesn't want to put him down and the way to get good at something then is to obviously like what you're doing enough that you do it a lot. And then as you do it a lot, 
and, and you love it, it just naturally helps the, the that synergy keeps moving and it kind of develops momentum and, and it gets better. I interviewed, I used to have an airline show and I had Billy Joel as a guest and he said that the secret of his music was that his mom wanted him, didn't, never played, always wanted to play piano. So she gave him piano lessons and his teacher was one of those guys that demanded perfection. Mm-hmm. It's what Billy told me. It could be a lie, but mm-hmm. it's what he told me and went on the air. And, and, and so the deal was as soon as his, his, his uh, teacher was ready to leave, he'd say, okay, you can't learn anything new until you perfect what I just assigned you. And then he would leave and Billy would have to practice and his mother didn't play and it, he was a kid and it bored him. So instead of playing what he was supposed to play, he made stuff up. Gee whiz. He became a songwriter, you know? So I think it's, it's like that. It's like a diet. You do the things that you want to do way before you do the things that you have to do. And you're much more successful at things that you really love to do. Mm-hmm. So I tell people, if you want to be a voice actor, then talk funny. Go to the store and, and talk funny. On the phone when you talk to people, interact with them funny. And, and if you're lousy, keep doing it. You'll get better. Exactly. <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's it. All right. So what are you up to these days? Uh, would, do you have anything, anything coming up that you wanted to talk about? Anything. I, I actually, uh, I just did a whole bunch of, of kind of, they're not like character voice intensive fun things. I did a bunch of sports stuff, uh, culminating with, uh, with the Baja 1000, which I was kind of like the sports commentator. The great thing about being a character guy who does straight voices is my straight voice is almost like a character thing to me as well. So I have different straight guys that I perform, uh, as, as myself. And people go, Oh, you have those varieties. In fact, is, is it, I'm still a kid, just an older kid and I still get bored with stuff. So I still like to do different versions, even of straight voices. They are also characters. Uh, you know, you, 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 Trade things. Uh, same thing with a, a believable straight voice uh, is the same thing as a believable character. You just you know playing to a different audience with a, a different appeal. So that was the most recent thing I've done. Uh, I I'm uh, going to be back uh, this year. Uh, I was just trying to actually get a famous guy that I know to to join us. But uh, I did about half a dozen different things at Comic Con in Denver last year. They have uh, they haven't extended the official thing, but the guys called me and said it's pretty much understood that I will probably be invited back. Nice. And, and Denver, being far away from San Diego, I know they've got like 170,000 there. But Denver last year did uh, between 110 and 115,000 people in little old Denver. So that wow. will be uh, that will be fun. I've done a couple of so I'm doing more live stuff with different people. Uh, I did a couple of pilot things uh, with people and uh, and guested on a couple of Disney projects. Um, I'm, I'm not in LA full time anymore. So I actually have a home in Denver as well. I go back and forth between Denver and LA. This year I've been more in Denver than LA. Okay. Uh, so, and I, I teach stuff. I'm also, uh, on, on my website, I, I did uh, some kind of blues oriented music. Uh, so I, we did like four, I think four and a half CDs, which ended up as a best of and a more recent CD. And I'm about halfway through, um, a new one that I hope to get done by the end of 2017. I need to get going. That I've also upgraded my recording stuff, and I'm waiting for some improvements there before I continue onward. What else? Uh, so you know, just always doing different creative stuff um, in in different ways. I've uh, uh, been working on a, a cartoon pilot that uh, I still haven't found any, but I have actually voiced a version of the pilot um, with some friends and um, and done some production stuff on that. So it would be nice to try to get that stuff going. So there's a lot of po- stuff, possibilities on the table. And, uh-huh. and, uh, and I work every week on various kinds of things, not necessarily always huge things. I just did a, a Frosty the Snowman kind of character, which was to, to me, it was a, it was a local, uh, a local or regional spot for a, a grocery store chain in the East. But what was nice for that was, it, and again, for the audition process, I did, 
kind of almost like the doofus. I did kind of a young, uh-huh. which would be in the same area as Frozen. So I did kind of a young, uh, uh, earnest character. Then I did kind of a Jackie, a Jackie Vernon, kind of like a city guy <laughs> who did that, who played Frosty the Snowman in one of those Rankin Bass uh-huh. cartoon TV shows they trot out every year. And then I did kind of a John Goodman, he kind of almost, a, almost if Santa Claus were the snowman kind of guy. And, <laughs> and so then we did the final spot and they picked the, uh, the kind of young, Guy, maybe I put a little Steve Buscemi lisp in him, just a teeny bit of it. It was interesting though, because today, every uh, you know, right now we're in a very pulled back period. So my producer had me. I, I did the thing, and it was the character was the snowman had lost his nose, and he's standing out on the street, and the guy comes, who's the a straight voice on the commercial, comes up and says, "Well, why don't you go into such and such a market and and get a carrot?" And he's going, "I can't go in there because I'll melt in there." And this is all about the store having stuff you can order online, and they'll bring it out to you, kind of a deal, so the snowman wouldn't melt. And that was the basis of the commercial. So it's funny because so, so I did it in that kind of almost, uh, again, Elroy Jetson, doofus thing. Like, I can't go in there. I'll melt. And the guy's going, can you bring that back some? So <laughs> we started to – first they picked the, the young voice and then we kept bringing it back to where it got really subtle. So I can't go in there. I'll melt. <laughs> so that's another part of what we do is that this is a, 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 a deal where whatever you do, you know, Doofus was fun to do, and Doofus was great. Uh, Dr. Mindbender was terrific to do, and our fans are still, you know, 20 years later, still having conventions, and mm-hmm. that's awesome as well. Uh, and so, But it's also, you're part of a team. If you don't have a great script that's written by a great script writer, and the, you have a director who knows how you're going to interact with other characters, it's kind of like Mark Evanier, who does the Garfield stuff. And, and it's been a long time since I did a Garfield, but the last time I worked for Mark... Uh, when he told me how to do the line, I, I kind of asked him, why do I deliver the line that way? And Mark said, because I not only am directing you, but I also am connected with a script. And he said, I know the visual gag that goes with the line that you're giving. So if you do the line the way I tell you to work to do, the visual gag will work better. Enough said. So I said, what makes you really great in this thing has always been the fact that like – you know, Paul McCartney and John Lennon were like Keith Richards and, and uh, Mick Jagger. Have you heard they have a new blues album out uh, recorded live in the studio? That's phenomenal. No, that's really. Stuff. Pretty amazing. But OK, so so the, but the deal is that collaboration is the secret of all the stuff is enjoying what you do and then working with other creative people, which makes you better. You can't be in a cast with uh, with Jim Cummings without being improved by the process of just <laughs> working with Jim Cummings. Same yeah. thing, Mark Hamill. We did a, a cartoon show for th- The Third World, and we played archaeologist grandfathers, and we were kind of small parts. But the process of working together with Mark um, made it made it better, made made my job better. Uh, I, I Hopefully, I affected him as well. But it's great when you work with creative people. It makes, it's, like, it's like being in a band. Mm-hmm. If you're hanging out with Joe Bonamassa and, uh, and you can't play as good as Joe, you play with him for a while, you'll get better because your performance will come up, you know? Oh, all right, Brian. Thank you so much for coming on. I, I had a I, blast talking about DuckTales and everything I else with you. Do, oh, I could do this for years. Is there anything else? Okay. You've been listening to Saturday Morning Rewind. That was backwards. Now here's forward. You've been listening to Saturday Morning Rewind. Now don't go away. We got more. Thanks for listening to Saturday Morning Rewind. Please check them out on Facebook and Twitter. And that's all, folks.